Welcome to Frankly Speaking with Lynn Franks and Friends. I'm Lynn Franks, your host. And this week, I sat down with my friend Rita Jerez, who describes herself as a grandmother from Glastonbury, UK, and a respected student of ageless wisdom, solar philosophy, shamanism, and esoteric psychology for the last 28 years. And if that wasn't enough, Rita is a spiritual leader, a sacred artist, a fashion designer, and a businesswoman. So enjoy our chat. I am so blessed, but wonderful friend who's been in my life for so many years, Rita Jerez. Welcome, welcome. Rita, how many years have we known each other? <laughs> I mean, I knew you when you were 18, didn't I? That's right. So I am literally 59 now. So that's 41 years. Oh my God. Wow. I'm so, I'm, it just goes so fast, but I'm so blessed because I've got such wonderful women that have been in my life for so many years. And of course, you're one of them. And, and we see our, with each other, how our, as a reflection in a way of our own lives changing. And when I first met you, you were a fashion student, weren't you? And I was running PR and you liked the designs of my former husband, I think came in for some advice. And, and you have had so many careers in the time I've known you, not even including now, of course, being a, a brilliant mother of four amazing young people and a grandmother of two or three, two, 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 two little ones and all the other things you do. But would you describe yourself? Because you are so multi-talented as I don't even know how to describe it. You're a designer. You've got an incredibly successful, beautiful fashion company, Mudra, which is cashmere as I'm wearing as we speak. You are a businesswoman. You are an entrepreneur, a sustainable entrepreneur. You're an artist. You do those incredible sacred paintings, which are, I don't know, some of the best I've seen outside of India. Thank <laughs> you. Don't even Thank know you. The gods and the goddesses. And you are also a shaman and a, a spiritual leader. So, I mean, that's a lot. Even by my account, that's a lot of different careers running simultaneously. Would you say they're all equally important to you? Or Well, it's, uh, it's interesting you should ask that, in fact, because we were going to come and ask you for some business advice. It's funny, if you said, I don't think I'm good at business, personally, because it's what I'm good at is creative expression. And mudra, my clothing, is an expression of generosity from my heart. I love creating clothes for women to feel good about themselves, beautiful. And that stemmed Lynn, from me as a young girl feeling so ugly. I must say it was born of the sand in the oyster. So at four years old, my auntie Beauty, her name was Lebanese auntie, said in Arabic to me, I don't want you to worry when you're 18, I'll pay for you to have a nose job. Oh my God. I did have a nose job when I was 18. <laughs> oh, they, 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 isn't that interesting? So I grew up thinking that I, I was so ugly that, you know, apologizing for existing, that kind of thing with skin color being living in Ealing when I was young. And you're a mixture. You're, you're Sri Lankan Lebanese, aren't you? Indian and Lebanese. Indian yeah. Lebanese. Beautiful skin color you Thank have actually. <laughs> imagine it. At seven, I didn't know that. I'm four years old. But anyway, so so just in this past few days, because of the urgency in the world around people, mental health, struggling, and then my what I would consider my ultimate gift, which is to really help people to align to their soul, to really reach in and not be frightened of the light that they are, that's what I see my Dharma work, my true work. And I was just like, yeah, I'm feeling quite stretched and thinking, how do I do this? Although my, my daughter, who's 19, is coming into work full time for Mudra. So I, I want to give it space, but I, I've started to realize I can't put lots of energy into this anymore. No. Well, anyway, on a separate note. Let's have a discussion because it's always very easy to advise somebody else about things I'm not so good at myself. And I would love to do that with you. I'll come down to Glastonbury, come to your shop and spend even more money on these gorgeous clothes. No, no, I, I give something to you. Oh, well, I'll do I'll definitely do that. Um, but the thing about your, it's true, actually, whatever you do is a gift of beauty, actually. And, and whether it is the color of these clothes 
which was just so sensational. <laughs> I'm sorry to keep going on about it, but love, love, love Mudra, but sadly, those, so does a little few moths that I have in my house, so I'm going to go around. <laughs> but I've got all my w- w- wardrobe is reviewed. But at the same time, the paintings you do are a gift. They're a gift of sacred beauty. And then the, the teachings you do are extraordinary. And having watched you evolve as a teacher to the point where I know I didn't get there in person, but I did see you on the stage at Boomtown pre-COVID, where how many kids were in that, young people were in that audience? There was about 30,000. There was about 30,000. And there you were with your crew doing a blessing on the stage to this this huge crowd of young people who were there for a party and a rave. And it was so powerful. And I was so proud of you. And I just saw, you know, the gifts that you have and that you give are just nonstop. And you deserve every bit of pleasure that you have in your life. But it hasn't been an easy life either, has it? No, it hasn't. But I, I'm grateful for all of it and I wouldn't change any of it. I really, I've deeply looked into what were the different aspects of suffering and really realise if I hadn't felt those sufferings, how would I be able to support people to find their way through them? That's true. So in the time that I more recently know you, because you moved to Glastonbury with your family. You had three boys, three young boys. You moved to Glastonbury. And then I remember your house burned down. You had a, a cake business, an incredibly successful cake business, another creative gift-led business, which you then, I think, got ripped off by your partners or something happened that was not very pleasant. You had partnership issues with your first clothing company. I remember that. and And then... The tragedy of your daughter's father, such a terrible story, dying in a car crash on the way to hospital while you'd just given birth. No, he, it wasn't on the way to hospital. It was on the way to a cake show, the, the real, it was the fine food show for, of Taste of the West or something at Olympia. But yeah, it was a very strong moment because I was trying to raise money into the cake business. It, it was painful. And if I look at, those partnership issues, if you like, what what I really see, which is a very interesting thing for me to be able to see it now, but I do take responsibility for everything that I've created in my own life. I'm not a victim on any by any means, you know, like whatever shows up in my life, I always, as a, somebody who's been studying esoteric psychology for 30 years, I always look and say, how is this manifesting? What's going on in my subconscious? And how have I created it? And what I see, which took me a massive amount to be able to face, is that in reality, I've always been powerful, but I've always been very scared of that power. And I put that power onto something external, i.e. a business partner, thinking that they should have control of the finances or the this or the that. I didn't want to own my own power which in reality isn't my own power, because why I can now openly let this energy come through is because I realize that this power is the love, the light, and the wisdom that comes from the one when I get out of the way, me and Rita as the ego. And so I had to go through some of these very painful experiences that were not my soul's work to cut away and purify that karmic negativity that I'd created from my subconscious, as well as to be okay with being who I am. Yes, I I can see that. And do you think this lack of confidence or this fear of our own power is something that is particularly common with women? Because it's certainly something I can relate to. Yeah, I think it's very, if you think about women, I always think to myself, look, it's only Less than a hundred years ago, where women were the commodity of being born or su- bought or sold by their family and the dowry, you know, in many cultures around the world and in some still. So when, when somebody's subconsciously groomed to be the beauty and, and to play their place, I mean, please don't get me wrong because I'm so not feminist or separate to men and. I see that all mothers gave birth to the sons of that are the men of today. Yes, and you have three beautiful sons who. Yes, I do to really see that. So, 
not like I'm speaking like, oh, I'm into the goddess movement or something and this, you know, all separate at all. But I think the insecurity is also a spiritual thing. For me, it's actually been a very deep spiritual thing because I feel like in many lives I was a monk or a nun in full renunciation of the material and of embedding myself in this world that in the India they would call samsara and some, you know, Maya or Mara. So it's a very fine line from our previous trainings of what can we feel good about opening ourselves to. For me, it is anyway, about I don't want to and haven't wanted to lose myself and focus on materialism. So to find that balance of impeccability and and integrity has taken me a massive amount of going deep into my heart to actually recognize and allow and to know, okay, but wait, when, when I'm not struggling to pay my rent and I feel safe, I can be in a much bigger level of service to hold people, to touch their hearts and to be generous actually than if I'm in struggle and survival. So I had to work through all my distorted misunderstandings around allowing myself to receive, actually. Yes, I certainly understand that. And you've done it brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly. And, and it's an it's inspiration to me, and I'm sure inspiration to many, many of the people that really follow the teachings that you really channel through. And, and again, I've watched this grow in the 40 years, or don't really think we've known each other, to see you emerge as this major teacher and leader, spiritual leader, has been wonderful to watch it. It really has. And uh, can you keep a foot in both camp? I guess that's what we were talking about just now. Can you be an entrepreneur? Can you be a fashion designer? It is, it is a struggle. But as you say, the service quality it, it is so much more when you don't have to worry about paying the rent at the weekend. true. So... In reality, you know, mudra, I've never really paid myself to this day from mudra. I wear nice clothes and I love that other people can wear my clothes and and I created them that people that were my friends could afford them. So, for instance, with the cashmeres, I don't sell them 10 times cost at all. I sell them at a very minimal level, which is why I don't wholesale so that they're not in the top designer stores because then I'd be underselling them in my own shop or online. So I've kept it that we are not in mass production. They're just very small little production runs with small families that do them. And and I've tried my best for it to be completely in integrity. And it's so funny because that's actually that thing because, you know, I have an amazing business partner, I must admit, and she really handles the aspects of money. So I don't have to go too into that side. I mean, I still pay the bills, but she does really help me in that aspect, in all aspects, you know, because I I would undercharge. The other day she said to me, I think it's time to put your costs up. And I'm like, oh no. I said, it took me time to even charge what I'm charging now. And she said, yeah, but you're respected as one of the top people in the country to go to. And you should put them up. You know, it's not like I own my own house. And I, I'm i just like, oh, I don't feel good about this. And it's probably because of my Tibetan lineage. Even though in this lifetime I'm Hindu, my father was Hindu and I'm Lebanese, I have a very deep Tibetan Buddhist remembrance and recognitions and people recognizing me in that. And, you know, you don't get Rinpoche's and Lama's charging really these days. I mean, they'll ask for donations to help the monastery. It's not my focus, strangely. It might not look like that to somebody walking past and thinking, God, she's got a beautiful house. But I'm not focused on money. I'm just not. I'm focused on service. It is really the truth of it. Yes, I completely understand. And I'm the same way myself. And it is about, it's about service based business. And I think what we're going to see coming up in this changing, challenging time is that money itself 
jobs really does start losing its meaning and the whole economy is going to shift dramatically. And I'm very interested in the whole idea of circular economy and how we can support each other and how we can help each other and help the vulnerable and teach them to be, well, that's what Seed's always been about, teach teach vulnerable women how to create an income and how to be independent and for those who have to help those who have not. And I love that. I've always been so inspired by you and Seed and your power to literally go in and make those changes and inspire those changes. This mandala behind me is the Kala Chakra, by the way. And the Kala Chakra is all about the golden age. And this is a transmission teachings that come direct from Shambhala, where this was a region on the earth many, many, many years ago, which then actually became so ethereal that it went on to the inner planes. But the the teachings from the Lamas, from the Janang tradition, explain that Shambhala over a period of a thousand years, became 960 million cities of awakened Buddhas and Bodhisattvas that are so fulfilled that they have no need for money. I love that story. And and basically, the whole idea of the Kalachakra manifestation is that now, as we prepare to come towards 2030, that... Things as we come into the Aquarian age are going to change so much. And I do see that our currency will become our spiritual currency and that it's all based on living from the heart and our fulfillment. When we're all living in our absolute fulfillment, doing what we love every day, that we would do it for free because we love our work, we wouldn't need money. Exactly. And what is money anyway? As you say, currency. So it's just a, it's just a token of exchange and it's about energy. So if we were going to be using a far more barter based uh, economy where we give and receive what we need and what we can offer. And it's a, it's based on a gift love economy. I mean, it's just so much healthier for the soul. And I think we can do it. And I think it's going to happen. And I do think it will be women said. I don't know if it will happen in our lifetimes, but I feel like it's going towards that and such radical changes are going to happen. Yeah, no, I, I'm not sure it will happen in my lifetime. But... but having said that, having said that, I have worked with some people who are involved in building light, smart cities that will become available from 2030. They're actually in the design and creation where there's free food that's growing within these places, and that it's a very different model as now, and it's community-based. Yes, I do see that coming, and it is the, it is the golden age, as the Hindus would, would say, and I do see it coming back, and communities will get together and grow their own food and have their land and, and, I, I t- and learn from an early age also about eating more healthily. And- exactly. It's definitely happening on that level. Yes, and it's the future of our grandchildren and, and their grandchildren. It's the generations to come. So why why do you think these bigger challenges like wars and COVID and all these things come up? I mean, do you think there is a pattern to them that we as humans have to live through? Thank you for asking that question. So with COVID, so just for those of people who don't know me, my background is 28 years of in-depth study of esoteric psychology and ageless wisdom, solar philosophy. And that's really looking at all the paths that lead to the one, whether that's Christianity, Buddhism, Hindu, Vedic, that they all lead to the one. And in this understanding, one looks esoterically at the cause of a situation. So how I see COVID is if humanity, which humanity had done, had rampantly cut down the Amazon forest that represents the lungs of humanity, the lungs of the earth rather, of course that's going to have an effect on our biosphere, that then the effect would be that our own immune systems get depleted and where would it affect would be the respiratory system and the lungs. And how interesting that 
you know, the whole George Floyd moment of I can't breathe happened during COVID where people couldn't breathe and were going into hospital to do with ventilation and breath is life. To me, it's the most absolute cause and effect moment, but that's not a punishment from God. I really want to emphasize that. To me, it was a massively beautiful opportunity, COVID, for all of us, every single one of us to recognize there are powers much greater than ourselves in our little egos that have forced us as humanity to come and have a little sit down in the bedroom and assess, are we frightened of dying? What's our karmic reality? Who are we living with? Do we like, if you were living in a three-bedroom council flat in London with three children or four children or five children and maybe taken in your grandmother or something because she didn't have somewhere to live and you and there was lots of arguing and fighting every day and this was your reality at the beginning of COVID, that is your karma that you had nowhere to run, nowhere to hide and to have to face. Very uncomfortable moment that we've all had to go through to say, where are we in our life? And how can we make peace with everything that's happened before? And how are we going to make things better and smoother? And the only way to make things better and smoother is to go on a journey internally and get to the point where we feel that we are worthy to present ourselves to our creator, as far as I'm concerned. That's the only time inner peace can begin to arise. And we cannot have peace on the external, outer peace, until there's inner peace. We just can't. Yes. And do you think that applies, of course, to this horrific situation in I think it does on, on one level, but on the bigger level, to me, what I see is that we're in a battle. So this battle has been talked about in many prophecies, and this battle is between the light and the dark. And, and we're in a massive purification process. The, in the Vedas, they would talk about this as a time of churning, the Pralaya period, as we prepare to go into Satya Yuga. So I know the Brahma Kumaris, they don't see the time cycle the same, but I've just been studying these very recent, deep, in-depth scientific prophecies to do with the Vedas, saying, no, the golden age, the Satya Yuga is absolutely coming now there was a misunderstanding of cycles to me it's the same as revelation in the bible the reappearance of the christ it's the same energy that's coming in right now where what's being unveiled for humanity is every aspect of our unconsciousness which could be looked at as the darkness in in the kali Yuga, they would talk about every one of us is incarnated with the angel and the demon within ourselves but there's only one way to subjugate the demon, and it's not by hating it to denying it. We have to meet it and, and have compassion for this part that's raging or angry or arrogant and judgmental or, or all aspects because it's coming through the bloodline and previous lives. And ultimately we're innocent and we have to correct this internally through bringing awareness to it and not denying it. So really it is about, well, it, clearly it's about working on ourselves and finding that peace within and, and, and changing our own karmic patterns. It's true. And then if you look at it in terms of this part where we have avoided, every human being has come in with a place where they don't want to be told what to do. Think about that part of the two-year-old us and the 14 to 18-year-old us. The impudent teenager that says to the, the Holy Father, talk to the hand. That, that part is what each of us has to go in and meet and subjugate with love. Because for us to become really at peace, we have to come to the point where we have the confidence, courage to present ourselves to the creator and then say, I want your will to be my will. Please open me, please help purify me. So to me, this is a time of massive 
purification, which is why I do the shamanic work I do, to support people, to hold people in their deepest fear of dying, of, of meeting themselves, seeing their own mind, so that they have the courage to bring the light to that parts that they hate. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about the shamanic work. I mean, for a lot of people, even understanding what being a shaman is, is, is slightly confusing. So do you want to explain what that is in the, and then how you then teach it on the, or you were saying you've got this online global community of hundreds that you're teaching regularly. So can you explain about that? Thank you. So my understanding of my, my own internal shamanic training has come from beyond this life. And it's come through the Vajra Yana path of purification of the mind through the power of mantra. So it's not like an Amazonian shamanic training. For me, it's a different thing, but it is the same. Because what sh- to be shamanic or, or what shamanism's about is calling back all, all the places that you abandoned yourself. A, a little like soul retrieval, really. Something years yes, ago. in that way, you could say that, but it's not generally, you know, the the soul that needs the retrieving. It's the the mostly it's where we abandon our inner child. Yeah, where we didn't feel worthy, or we had to grow up fast, and there was no room to allow that place of our innocence and our slowness. You know, that kind of when you see your grandchildren and just the way they're just so sweet, we had to just let go of all those parts of ourselves, didn't we? And just, they went. And depending on how much abuse there had been in the childhood, lots of people I've met over the years have gone through so much atrocity. Yeah, so much trauma. It's just... So much. In your bloodline, there's so much trauma, isn't there? Yeah. So, I... It's calling back the parts of ourselves that we've judged, that we've compared ourselves, that we've abandoned, that we've hated, and that then becomes the thing that we hate about other people. So it's calling it all back, and it's a self-looking. It's So the work I do, which is quite often working with plants, is helping people to prepare themselves to see their mind, to see their own nature, and at the same time to recognise they're not just their mind, they're the one that's the witness of the mental body or the brain thinking or the feelings feeling. You know, there is a part of every one of us that is what I would call the silent witness, the angel of the presence that's watching with unconditional love Each of us in this life and previous lives were gifted from from God, free will. But the angel of the presence is the one that just watches with its unconditional love, without judgment, like the presence of God, just at whatever our crazy choices. If I think of my crazy choices in my life, crazy you know, so unconscious that obviously all our unconscious choices lead to our suffering. But somewhere in it all, there is this incredible level of wisdom that's beyond the story that when we wake up, we realize how every single thing, as difficult as it was, was actually perfect. Everything. Yes, that's so true. The older I get, the more I appreciate a certain amount of the struggles I've had or the life I've had, for sure. And let's talk also about the, the more recent uh, challenge you had when you were uh, told you had breast cancer, which wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it was a year ago now, actually. This, this weekend, one year ago, I'd been in a little ceremony and it was the morning and I looked in the mirror of my bathroom and I noticed some puckering on my breast. And I was like, whoa, whoa. It's the way that the light had hit it. Just like, that doesn't look right. What does that mean? Thanks for Google. I Googled it and I saw a picture of somebody who'd put an article saying she'd been to the, her doctor 
with breast puckering like this. And they said, it's nothing to worry about. And it turned out to be cancer. So, of course, I started to have a feel. I felt a lump that felt hot. It felt like it was about two centimetres wide. Monday morning, I got myself to the doctor's. The doctor said, oh, it's only pea-sized. I very much doubt this is anything, but I will recommend you to the hospital. No letter came, and the letter had gone to a previous house, the one that burnt down. Oh, no. From 10 years ago. But luckily, that letter, because, you know, in my busy life, it could have been missed. And anyway, that the woman who lived there, the girl that lived there, was a friend of my daughter. And she said, oh, there looks like an important letter for your mum. So I said, please get them to open it. I've got a feeling it could be the hospital. And it was. And so I got my appointment and, you know, massive gratitude, bowing to the NHS in this country, just so together as far as I'm concerned. I have enormous respect for them. I get this letter and they said, look, it's like a one-stop cancer clinic. You'll see a breast surgeon. He'll make an assessment if you need a, ma- a mammogram. And if if anything positive on the mammogram, you'll get to have a scan, ultrasound. So I go and see the guy two weeks later, the 16th of April. He says, no, I don't want to say, I don't think it's anything to worry about. I go to the mammogram. She says, yes, it looks hot and inflamed. Let's go to get an ultrasound. The woman in there said, I said, be honest with me. And she said, well, I definitely need to biopsy. And then she said, look, I'm just telling you, because I was already saying to her, I can't afford to be ill. I'm about to launch a one-year training in about two or three weeks. You know, uh, it's, I can't. And, oh, on that note, Lynn, December the, um, solstice, 21st of December 2020, I was there in meditation. Something came in where it was like, If you were going to die, what is it that you would want to leave for people, humanity? And I realized in that moment, I wanted to leave my modern day understanding of Mahamudra and the Vajrayana lineage training that I'd come through that helps people to understand non-duality, how to purify the mind to be in the spacious grace of liberation to experience, to drink from the fountain of the highest bliss, which has been a big part of my life and why I have all this inspiration, juice, energy, because it's very natural for me to go to that midway point to regenerate myself and feel all this light, all this bliss, all this electric fire, all this energy from the source of creation inside. And then I'm always massively inspired. And I wanted to show people how to get to that. I realized I need to. And I've never, you know, in all the work I've been doing, I want to take people deep into understanding how to access this internally, how to come home to your own heart, how to make a relationship with the Christ, the Buddha, Krishna, every aspect of the avatar of this time, and to listen to your body's intelligence, how to discern, how to discriminate, and more importantly, how to come to right relationship within yourself. So I really started to receive the download of this and for that from January, which I got COVID in 2020, January, and that was quite strong, which took me deeper into my heart. I meant to say that when we talked about COVID and the lungs, the lungs sit in our heart chakra. So I do see COVID as a gift from from God, from the creator, to help humanity to come deeper into the heart because everybody who goes through COVID has to meet themselves in those silent places where the fear is and they have to breathe deeper into the center of themselves, into the heart, which is where we have our relationship to purity and to compassion and to goodness. And so, so I went through, you know, this this four months going very deep into facing death actually inside myself. And now there I am in this room, this room where this woman's giving me the ultrasound. And she said to me, to be really honest with you, Rita, I think you are going to have to be able to take some time off work. And I went, 
oh my God, I don't know about that. I don't know if I could do that. Because I love every day of my life. Every day is a day of fulfillment and beauty and grace. And there's nothing that I do that I don't love. I must show you my painting, my oil painting I've been doing since I had COVID. It's just over there. So the diagnosis came back that I had lobular cancer. It's a kind of cancer that hides itself. So where I thought it was a two centimeter lung, it ended up being five centimeters. The, the grace was it didn't, was not in my lymph glands. So what I was offered two weeks later by my breast surgeon is you can have a lumpectomy where you have radiation or you can have a mastectomy where you don't have to have radiation or chemo. So I said, 100%, I'd like the mastectomy, please. Now, from the day that I got the diagnosis, no, from the day I even found the lump, I began a very deep study into breast cancer and all the things that I needed to do. So I immediately, immediately started to have three to four hyperbaric oxygen chamber sessions per week where I'm having like all this oxygen going really deep into my cells. And in those sessions, I would be able to journey into my body and say, what's the origination? Which absolutely was exhaustion and not resting enough. All my years of my shamanic work of missing nights sleep and not making up those nights sleep, that makes estrogen kick into the body. And my, my type of breast cancer that I had was estrogen positive. So I, I started to look at, okay, I don't, I know that I don't really want to go on the doctor's type of hormones to, you know, they, they do, they give you something called levesterol for somebody my age who's been through menopause, which actually dries you and can make your bones feel weaker. And, you know, it makes you just feel like you're an old lady. For a lot of people, they get side effects of that, vaginal drying, all of that. And I just thought, oh, I just know how awful I was on the pill when I was young. I couldn't do it. And I don't want artificial hormones put into my body. So I needed to research what can I do naturally so I immediately stopped any level of dairy, any level of grain, any level of sugar, and and then juicing and intermittent fasting and taking a lot of really, really good supplements and doing IV, vitamin C and IV, all sorts of things. And within six to eight weeks... I lost my way. I've felt absolutely mind-blowingly amazing. My, all the mental fog cleared. I felt energized and vital. I mean, I don't look sick to it now, even though I do all this. I have just had COVID and norovirus, but I, I must say, I feel 20 years younger since having breast cancer. So I had the mastectomy in May and and I had an implant, so I didn't, I had basically, it's called, I think it's nipple sparing breast reconstruction, something like that. And not breast reconstruction, just an implant. Because that felt like the easiest thing and it looked fantastic. It was a good match for the other breast. And I'm like, God, I've got off lightly, but actually I hadn't. So my breast didn't like it. My breast was like, what's going on? And I, I had a lot of fluid even two or three weeks later and basically there's started to be fluid that was coming out of the wound and to cut a long story short I then had to have another operation which I've now got something called a tissue expander and I'm going to be seeing the surgeon about what can be done what what are my options because I'm not super happy around the options of cutting off a flap of skin, etc. But at the same time, I I feel very grateful, Lynn. I feel grateful because the lazy part of me that was naughty, that liked that two glasses of wine in the evening 
cooked my food really late at night. Being a single mother that did the shopping at the end of a day of long day of work and then cooking dinner late, I never gave myself the luxury of exercise, of going for that walk, having that swim, doing that yoga. And that then became the habit. And always just in absolute service, absolute service to not being in service to my body. And really this cancer came and bit me on the bottom to say, if you want to be in your body till you're 80 years old and serving until you're in your 70s, then you have to look after this body. It's cause and effect. I had not looked after my body. I had let it have acidity. And now I have massive alkalining to my body and I feel so good for it. And I have to have those walks, do those swims and do that stretching and the yoga. And it's, it's not even like an absolute easy habit to do either. Now I realize I need to start doing weights actually and really look after myself if I want to stay healthy. And so I can see the perfection. In that part of me, you know, I can't have that odd glass of wine. I don't want to ever go down that route or think, you know, my seriously scrumptious cake days, for God's sake, with feeding humanity sugar. That was definitely not a Dharma thing to do, even though it's fun. And, and that love of the sugar, you know, absolutely detrimental to me, to my body. And all of that paid its price. But one of the biggest things in terms of the breast cancer that I feel was amalgam in my teeth. As a child, when we were young, our generation, Lynn, we'd go to the dentist, they'd want to stick another filling in. I always felt disorientated for a couple of days after that. So a few years ago, I had all of the amalgam taken out of my mouth, but I didn't do it in that really sensible way of making sure there was a rubber dam. My dentist tried to persuade me and said, no, 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 all the mercury comes out. It's only me that's going to get the mercury. You don't need to not let it go into your body. It's not going to go into your body. Well, I'm, you know, I'd done tests. It did. And that definitely didn't help. It's, it, for me, the breast cancer is many things, but the amalgam wasn't helpful. So the bottom line now is now till the day I take my last breath, I have to be very super careful. And that means I'll always be treading that very fine line. But what I realized and what I said to my breast nurse when they, when we discovered that the lump was five centimeters and she, they started trying to persuade me to have radiation. And I was just like, look, I want to say I've had several clients. In fact, I've got one this week down here. Some of them, quite a few of them, interestingly enough, have been women who've had disabled daughters. But they got breast cancer. They didn't look after themselves because they were looking after their daughters. And they didn't do the treatments that were recommended. And they died. You know, they're dead. They've left their body. This body has now gone over. So it's, it's a very interesting one because I know I'm standing on the edge because I didn't listen with regards to taking the radiotherapy. Because I feel like I can do it naturally, but I did have the cancer cut out, which some of the women I know have even not done that. They've thought, no, I want to do it all naturally. I'm glad I didn't listen to my, this doctor that's a specialist, a homeopath that said, don't have it cut out, don't have it cut out. Because at the time it was only two centimeters showing, but in reality it was five centimeters. That would have not taken long to go into my lymph glands. So really what I'm saying is, I now cannot be complacent for one day. And what about the traveling that you do? Because I can understand, obviously, exercise, eating healthily, the right supplements make perfect sense. But you've always been literally getting on and off an aeroplane. Is that going to continue or are you going to try and change that a bit? Because you teach everywhere. And... I do. And it is a thing. So that's interesting you should say that. So when I am in hot countries, I do have a, a swimming pool wherever I am. So it makes it much easier for me to do. And I like it now in Sri Lanka. I bought my juicer and, and you know, like a equivalent of a Nutri-Bullet and did my juicing, did everything I need to do. And I feel really good about that because I do take care of myself. In fact, I 
give myself more space to exercise. Do you mean it because you think getting on aeroplanes is so bad for us? I think that frequent traveling isn't very good for us. And also there's just a general stress of constantly moving around and packing and getting to the airport on time. And it's just, it's not an easy thing. I mean, I haven't been on an aeroplane now for three years because of COVID. As I mentioned earlier to you, I'm going on a plane on Sunday for the first time on a very short trip. And I have traveled in many, many countries in my life. And actually having to stay still, I haven't even been to London for nearly three years. And having to stay still and be in a fairly rural environment has really served me. Yeah. So I, res- I really respect that. And it really served my family in the two years of COVID. My daughter had felt her whole nervous system relax. So I, I 100% see the benefits. I, I love being in my house, but I have a spiritual obligation, if you like. And maybe obligation's not the right word, but like... For 11 years, for instance, I've been going to Sri Lanka. There's a big community that come from Kazakhstan, Dubai, India, now Pakistan, and the Sri Lankans. And each year they grow and they glow. And, you know, it's one of the places I love being with them. All people from all different faiths around one altar praying together, the Muslims, the Buddhists, the Christians. They're all praying in the same circle. And I love that. And they love each other. You know, it's so beautiful. And I've got the same in Canada, the same in America, the same now in Kenya. It's it's very difficult. And I did say to my doctor, look, thankfully, like I, I come with the deepest understanding of reincarnation. I knew that since I've been a very, very young child. I know that this whole life, Lynn, is one night's dreaming in our soul's evolution. And in reality, my spirit and your spirit and all of our spirits was never born, never died and is stainless and pure. I, I follow the Bodhisattva vow. That is my commitment. And I will continue to take incarnation, come back and serve and continue to take. And if I only have another 10 years, at least I've had 10 years more of every single day, a beautiful day in absolute fulfillment. Absolutely. I, I was talking to a friend a little bit older than me, and she was going through a lot of trauma about her 80th birthday. And I said to her, and she's had an incredible life, not not um, really a spiritual service in the way that yours has been, but she's certainly had an amazing life. And I said, if we look back, we've, we are so blessed. We have had so many gifts all our life. And in my case now, I've got seven beautiful grandchildren. My, my children are doing great, and I'm so proud of them. And you know, it's, it's all fine. It's all fine. So for me, because I'm a bit older than you, I'm now working on my legacy, whatever that is. And that is evolving and I'm very happy about it. But it's just an interesting time with the traveling and I'm not too sure how for myself how that's going. So, I mean, if that's part of it. Now, I did not warn you of this, which I meant to. But what I thought would be a good way to finish off today would be with a blessing from you. Oh, I would love that. A sort of sacred blessing. And then I will just come back and thank you. And before we go to that, I'd also like to ask you about the future. I try and ask all my guests what, what their vision of the future. We've talked a little bit about it anyway. We've talked about you know, people learning to look after themselves and live in community and, and grow their own food. But do you want to just... Talk a little bit about that. I feel like this is the most auspicious moment to be on the planet. I, I do. I feel like by 2030, according to many different aspects of prophecy, that the door to evil on this earth will be closed. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't have the remnants, but what it means is people who have purposely lived a life of hate and created harmful atrocity won't be able to reincarnate here according to these prophecies. And that as we go into the light age, what that really means is that humanity is going to become soul infused. When I use the word soul, then that's, that word's quite often misunderstood. The soul and spirit are two different things. So our spirit is the eternal aspect of us. Some people in some uh, traditions would call that the monad cosmic fire aspect of ourselves the soul is all the merit that we are from our good deeds words and actions from all of our lifetimes to become soul infused means that we will be light bodied light activated much more vital imagine that in 
two or 300 years time, the prana level on the earth will be so increased that people will be living for 200 years. So imagine if you knew at the, when you're eight, that you're going to live for approximately 200 years, most people wouldn't have a child till they're 80. They would be in right relationship with somebody that they could devote presence to be like an auric egg around that child whilst they're held to re, to awaken, recapitulate all the merit from their previous lives will have a very different earth. So I do believe that wisdom and balance will be restored. And I, I feel like this very auspicious time of, let's say if you were putting it in Christian terminology, that you could say that this is the time of where the Christ basically takes reign of the earth where it hasn't been. It's been in the forces of darkness. And we, of course, chose to be born now. To yeah. be the wisdom keepers, to be, to be the elders in this time and yeah. be there to create the foundations for all the generations to come. So beautiful. Thank you so much. Okay. So just inviting you to take a deep breath in through the nose, down into your heart space. And in this moment, let's take this opportunity to consciously invoke the highest of all that we are, all that you are, the highest point of your consciousness, to invoke the light of your spirit. And just to take a time to connect with the eternal aspect of you that is stainless and pure. As we connect into the recognition that there really is a divine plan that's unfolding. A whole great spirit. Father Sky, Father Sun, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. And thank you for this opportunity to connect as a community, to open ourselves to the sacred incoming light of this new era. Asking that we can open ourselves to have the courage to allow ourselves to be infused with this new frequency help us to do whatever it takes to open to the light of harmony in our lives to clear away all aspects of negativity with the light of love help us to transform the aspects of where we've compared ourselves where we haven't loved ourselves please open us and inspire us that we may feel worthy of being in our highest level of service in this earth of this temple body that you have given us the gift of what it is to have a body this life in itself to listen to the intelligence of our own bodies to make this journey home to the very centre of our beingness 
from the point of light within the mind of existence. Light streams forth into the minds of all mankind. Light illuminates this earth. From the point of love within the heart of existence, love streams forth into the hearts of all. I am you, you am I, we are one. From the center known as humanity, purpose and intent aligns in loving service to the one and all. From the center known as humanity, the plan of love and light is now made fully manifest. Love and light and wisdom now restores the balance on planet Earth. Love and light and wisdom now restores the balance on planet Earth. Love and light and wisdom now restores the balance on planet Earth, and so it is. May the light of spirit shine upon us, upon all beings, in all planes and all dimensions, now and forevermore, for the ultimate good of all. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti Om. Spirit on behalf of all humanity. We're so sorry for where we went unconscious as a race. For our negligence to our seas and our waters. Praying that we can be filled with the generosity to understand what it will take to be able to give back in these coming times. Please strengthen our very hands. Please open us that we can infuse our will with your will. Please guide us into the right activity within the divine plan. Each and every day. I ask this in the name of the Christ, in the name of the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas, in the name of the great Rishis that guard this universe, all the angels, through this day and every day, to serve the one. So just as we close this, let's take this opportunity to irradiate the feeling of tranquility and peace down through our feet into your home right now. May you create a sanctuary of peacefulness in your own home, in your own community. May we become the embodied peacekeepers of this earth. Shanti, Shanti, Shanti Shanti. Very powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What a wonderful conversation. And um, I look forward to seeing you very soon. I assume you're in England right now. I just yes, I am. A, yes, I, I am. thought maybe you'd gone to uh, <laughs> you were in Sri Lanka now. It's been an amazing conversation and, and it's been a wonderful friendship and relationship and I love you very much and I'm so glad you've had this opportunity to speak today. So look after yourself and I'll see you very soon. Okay, Jack. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Rita led a very powerful meditation in this episode and I'd like to suggest as our seed exercise that you revisit this prayer with Rita as often as you can and really enjoy this extraordinary experience. Thank you so much for listening and taking part. 
Remember, we will be putting up episodes of Frankly Speaking every few weeks, and I do hope you'll come and join us again. If you like what you hear and want to learn more practical methods to help you plant the seeds in your own empowerment journey, then do please subscribe to this podcast, rate it and review. You might also want to join our Seed Network if you haven't already. And together with thousands of like-minded, wise women, you will make friends, promote your business, share your stories and find your life purpose. Visit seednetwork.com to find out more. Until then, see you next time. Bye.